When you ask for money, you get advice. When you ask for advice, you get money. So um, the uh, this is practice for me is when I was doing my research interviews, reaching out to centers of influence, um, I was only asking for advice. I was letting people share with me what their feedback was. And those conversations have led me to um, other connections where is if I was reaching out to somebody and said, uh, hey, I'm going to be doing this uh, virtual reality uh, event startup and um, I want you to uh, either uh, invest in me or give me some money. Uh, that really channels how the person you're talking to thinks about their role in it. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the uh, CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And if you ever need help with either your patents or your trademarks, feel free to reach out to us. Just go to strategymeeting.com. Now, for all of you that are uh, listeners, we've got another great podcast on, and Drew Stone is uh, going to be on. And uh, just to give you a quick intro to his background, so he's been involved with virtual reality or VR, depending on how you, whether or not you refer to it, um, and since about 2014 and been working on uh, uh, Startup Content Distribution Network, if I said that right. Um, and it really came along with a, a friend. I think what you got introduced with it, and you I'll probably slaughtered you. You can correct me where I'm wrong. Is to a friend recommended a VR, I think, hackathon, and kind of got engaged that for, or that for, or via that or venue. Fell in love with it, loved it, and then kind of uh, back and forth between startups and Microsoft and software as a service. And then um, towards the end of 2019, uh, came on with Microsoft, did some things with VR, and then decided to. Um, to or lead to where you're at today with, with branching out and pursuing it how you'd like and uh, getting things going. So with that much as an introduction and hopefully it does it a little bit of justice, welcome on to the podcast, Drew. Right on. Thank you so much. Glad to be here, Devin. So uh, I gave a I gave a bit of an introduction, but maybe uh, let's uh, go back a bit in your journey and tell us how where things started and how you got to and uh, walk through how you got to where you're at today. Right on. Well, um, uh, thanks again for, for the introduction. I, um, uh, I've always been a collaborator. Uh, actually, as a, as a kid growing up, I always wanted to be an artist. I'm really fortunate to grow up in an arts-rich family. Mm. Um, but, uh, but as an entrepreneur, um, adults would ask me, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, I want to be an artist. And then when they were done <laughs> laughing, they'd say, no, no, what are you going to do for money? And so it was always a, um, uh, it hurt me a little bit. So actually I stopped telling people I wanted to be an artist, but I kept on mm. being an artist. Um, uh, actually my, my grandma got me a shirt that said, uh, art is not what you see, but it's what you help others to see. And actually that's, mm. I think what I'm really kind of helps propel me into doing uh, virtual reality. But, mm. uh, but yeah, so I've always been like a, a collaborator and um, always taking care of people. I'm the eldest of uh, 18 grandchildren. So mm. I was always the de facto uh, babysitter and, and keeping everyone entertained. And that has uh, really, I guess, helped set me up for doing uh, events and, and productions to bring people together and make sure everyone's having a good time. But, mm. uh, but as you mentioned before, it was uh, 2014 when I first got involved in VR. Uh, I was um, trying to figure out what to do for monetizing. I was working for a startup at the time uh, mm. that was doing a content distribution, as you were saying. And I said, hey, man, I really think that there's something here with this VR thing. And they said, okay, go figure out how to make money with VR. 
And uh, so, man, it was still really early days in VR. So, uh, so I asked a friend of mine, I said, and what does this look like? How, how do people make money in VR? And he said, oh, Drew, uh, oh, the guy's name is uh, Ryan Boudinot, uh, mm. a talented, talented writer and working on another really cool startup right now. But anyway, he said, Drew, you have to just go and experience it for yourself. Uh, I won't be able to explain it to you. Um, so that really picked my interest. And I've done, you know, hackathons and startup weekends before, but I had never done VR. I'm, I'm a, I, get, I call myself less technical where, mm. you know, I could write a program out on paper, but I never remember my syntaxes. So, so I show up at this, uh, this VR hackathon and mm. uh, it, was, it was the fourth Seattle VR hackathon. And I listened to a bunch of pitches. And then there was one that just kind of like caught, caught my eye. It was about um, helping people uh, after a disaster. So, uh, so I walked over to the person and I said, Hey, I'm interested in your idea. And then a couple of other people came by. And so I started reiterating the idea and kind of like forming it together as a group would come. And I end up, uh, being the project manager for that group. And, uh, and we won, we won the, uh, the best humanitarian, uh, category for, uh, for a project that was called disaster cons where, uh, people would wear the Microsoft HoloLens and they would go in and they would mark different areas where there was, um, uh, damage or fire risk. And then that was supposed to be sent out to incident command. So, uh, so our MVP, uh, it worked and that was really pretty cool. Uh, but that really just energized me about VR, seeing how people, um, would come one come together and collaborate to build something new, and that was the the, the energy was really infectious to me. So mm. I started showing up at my local um, VR meetups, and before long, I was invited to be a co uh, co organizer of the meetup. And then mm. the person who started it uh, switched jobs and moved to California and said, "Drew, here you go. The Eastside VR meetup is yours." And so mm. that was great for me. I love bringing people in and uh, and you know like hearing their stories, what their personal uh, work is with VR, and we do a demo and a presentation. And uh, so that's how I started to feed myself with community in mm. VR. Uh, and then also, as you mentioned, uh, at the end of uh, 2019. Well, before I, we jump into 2000, oh, and we absolutely will, but so you're going along 2014, you kind of get introduced to it, do the hackathon, um, you know, win some, uh, win some competitions. Now, is this your full-time gig making money at it? Is this a side hobby? Is it an interest? Do you see that it's going somewhere or kind of how does that overlay with making it, making a living, so to speak, when people are saying, how are you going to make money at that? You know, kind of right. how does that play in with things? Oh, uh, how to make money in VR has been, uh, been a question as old as VR. But um, so I, I didn't really think that I was going to be able to, well, not that I really considered it. It's just hard work. And there's like a small percentage of people that spend their time and energy on VR that are able to make, make a living off of it. Um, so I think that there's kind of three options now. One is um, you, you like buy, get into like a large company like, uh, mm -hmm. like Facebook or Oculus or something like that, or you uh, decide to uh, work on a small project um, uh, as part of a contract for a small team or something else. Mm. Uh, or you go into business for yourself and um, um, build the type of future that you want to see. So, so that's kind of like where, um, where I am now, but I didn't really know that I was going to get here by this way. Uh, mm. I think that it's just by getting in and paying dues. Um, mm. It was uh, because I had met Ryan uh, and we had a good rapport that he recommended that I go to the VR hackathon. And mm. then it was my work in the community that helped me be um, taken on to uh, the Eastside VR meetup. And then I took that over 
Uh, I was also invited by um, the creators of SakuraCon, which is the uh, largest anime convention on the West Coast. It takes place up in Seattle. Mm. And uh, I got on a phone call with them and they said, hey, Drew, we want to do VR in SakuraCon. And I said, okay, well, you're going to, you know, you have to have this and you have to have one of these and make sure you have sanitation. And I mm. got through this long litany of stuff and they said, no, we want you to do it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Right. So I was really uh, honored. Um, it's, a, it's all volunteer position. So um, it made it easy for me to pour my heart into it because uh, there was love and curiosity and interest in, in this. Um, I put way, way more time and energy and love than I would have been able to get compensated for. But it is in paying these dues that helps me be recognized by the community and, res and respected and well regarded so that when opportunities arise, um, uh, I am like either top of mind or uh, at least present as if I know what I'm talking about. Uh, still, the, so, even though VR is still so young, I don't know if there's anyone that knows everything about AR and VR. So now on a follow-up to that, so if I were to read between the lines, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, this was almost a passion project, side hustle, doing things on, you know, volunteer work, pro bono, helping the community out, wanting to push it forward in a general interest. Is that right? Were you working a full-time job in addition to this or did you, were you making money at this or how did that overlay? I was, um, at the time that I was getting into um, uh, this first VR hackathon, I was actually a full-time student at graduate school. I went to the mm. University of Washington and I ended mm. up getting a master of communication in communities and networks. Perfect mm. tie-in for, for VR and everything that I'm doing here. Um, mm. So I was on financial aid at that point. So um, it was nice enough for me to be able to have my schoolwork and be able to get that done and then turn the rest of my energy to um, you know fulfilling uh not just my interests, but kind of like where I thought this was going to go. It was worth my time uh, to invest in it and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and the people. It's really, it's, it's all about connecting people and, because that's, that's where it all happens. No matter what business you're in, you're in the people business because mm -hmm. there's a real person that either signs the check or approves the project or, or something like that until we get AI project managers, which I probably are not very far off. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> but until then, uh, we're, all, we're all in the people business. Um, so really, it was you know something that I wanted to uh, do with my life. It's like what I wanted to spend my heart energy on. Um, so mm. that I wasn't making a, a bunch of money at it right away was mm. not a huge detractor to me. Uh, mm. Plus, the job market is extremely hard. I have had um, uh, still great friends of mine that are um, brilliant, brilliant programmers, amazingly intelligent. And uh, one friend of mine, was looking for a job for 13 months. He had mm. done so many like full day interviews and then tech demo, like, you know, making sure how that happens. And then they would just never call you back. And it, mm. that is really disheartening to developers that are trying to, uh, or anyone who wants to share their best self in doing mm. something that they care about, because that's where you get the best win-win. Um, mm. But when people don't see to, uh, see, when they don't see your value, um, it, it feels really hard to, to slog up that road. So hmm. the good news for me is that I was not um, so desperate and hungry that I needed to sacrifice on some of my principles to get into VR. But hmm. uh, but as I mentioned before, just being in the community, um, I was able to see something that I wanted to be a part of 
And then more currently for this business, Lacosium is uh, being in the right place at the right time. By, by being aware of how the space is developing, I knew it was the right time to strike. Hmm. So now, so now, I know I think that's uh, certainly insightful and, and interesting. So now, now let's take it into kind of having that all in mind, doing VR for several years, doing the different uh, meetups, areas in the groups, working for, you know, doing different jobs, getting to Microsoft. How did that, how did you make that transition and how did you get into Microsoft and then how did you exit out? So how did that kind of or play sure, into sure. your journey? Um, so <laughs> talk about long interview processes. This is also 13 months, right? So I was working at a, uh, I was working in a healthcare, um, uh, software as a service company and mm. I was doing support work for them. And that was, um, it, you know, it paid okay. Um, but it was really, I, I felt more like an automaton and clicking, just clicking the button. Uh, my job mostly could have been automated uh, and it was really frustrating to deal with people that were having uh, issues with the technology and uh, it was a healthcare um, uh, app uh, or service. <laughs> so it was really critically important that it got right. So whenever I was on the phone with somebody, they were in a big panicked state. And so I, it, it didn't feel good to always be on the receiving end of that. Um, but I love helping people and I love uh, service. So anyway, I, uh, there was uh, Altspace VR is the social VR platform that uh, was uh, purchased by Microsoft um, a couple of uh, years back, uh, 2013 or 14, I think maybe. Hmm. Um, and I responded to a uh, job posting, I think it was on LinkedIn or something. And I had an interview um, with the program owner and then I didn't hear anything back. But uh, it was too bad. I, it sounded like it was going to be like a really great gig for me, a good fit. Um, mm. But I was just patient. Then all of a sudden, I get a phone or I get an email uh, from this uh, from the program owner, and she says, uh, "Drew, I want to schedule a call with you um, today or tomorrow." And then so we get on the call, and she says, uh, "You work for Altspace now. Bill us for this call. Uh, there's a special project I want you to work with." And so I got, uh, I finished my call and then I got in the car and I drove to the, uh, drove to the client to help them um, figure out a way to get their dance club space into VR and mm -hmm. as well as show um, a virtual version of the dance club uh, in the real physical location and vice versa. And, uh, and we were able to make it work. It was um, uh, really a great success. It was called V Rhythm. And uh, the group that I was working with is in um, uh, the Pacific Northwest area in Tukwila called Virtual Sports. And uh, they've got a, a featured DJ was uh, DJ Illuminati. And she is an um, awesome DJ for one and uh, really, uh, really technically proficient. Um, so they're continuing to do their project. Um, but uh, so I was uh, working on this, uh, on the events team at uh, Microsoft at Altspace. Hmm. And then uh, COVID happened, you know, it happened to the world uh, really quickly. Um, so at the beginning of 2020, I was pivoted off of uh, the normal events team, which was uh, my job there was to run a bunch of different community events and kind of see what worked and interview the audiences to kind of like find out what was sticky. What did people like to do? And so I did a whole variety of different things from uh, like simple games, like guess the animals, like 20 questions. And uh, I also did a news one where I would take uh, screen screen grabs from uh, social media on Mondays. And then I would hang a couple of different pictures around that uh, were kind of like conversation topics. So you could walk over to the, uh, to the screen grab 
and then uh, discuss you know what it is that is going on here. It was called trending topics today. So hmm. so that was a lot of fun, but um, all of a sudden uh, people were staying at home. Uh, you know, like, like, don't go out, uh, like lockdown type of orders. And so more and more people were coming into VR, and then businesses are trying to figure out how to pivot their conferences and, um, uh, and large events into VR and uh, Alt Space was was there ready. So mm. I got partnered with the the most senior um, uh, events uh, programmer at Alt Space. And then he and I were this one two punch where we handled all of the um, community partnerships and conferences that were coming to VR. And so we worked uh, on, on a very small team to try and like figure out how to get these uh, companies to um, transfer their events into VR. Um, and it was the most fulfilling. Like each project was a new uh, challenge and problem. Uh, everyone had their own different requirements. And uh, when we were able to put these events together and then run the production, it was so energizing and satisfying. It was uh, it's my favorite job that I've ever had. So now was uh, this still no was this still under Microsoft under their umbrella or is, or, in, yeah. or is this something that you started to do on your own? No 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 I um uh, well I, actually I I wondered uh, since I loved it so much that uh, that if my contract at Altspace ended that I might continue to do it for myself um, mm -hmm. and sure enough the budget dried up so at the end of um, was it June of 2020. Uh, my contract ended. And uh, it certainly wasn't personal. There were a bunch of other people that uh, that ended up losing their contracts just because they the fiscal year prior, they didn't anticipate on all of this need being happening in VR. So um, so I took a well-needed couple month break. Uh, we were really busy. Um, so actually I needed that time to kind of decompress and, and center myself. But uh, when I started thinking about what I was going to do next, I just kept coming around to how fulfilling and how um, satisfied I was with bringing people together in VR. And then so I started some uh, exploratory interviews, uh, probably around October 1st is when I started my, my first business plan template. And I started filling in some fields and asking around uh, my community, right? So I, I reached out to centers of influence that uh, I knew that were knowledgeable in the space. And so I workshopped this idea about doing a, a white glove end-to-end -end virtual reality production service. Uh, and I got a lot of positive feedback and I got some good recommendations about uh, either what to look out for or um, how to strategically set myself up for success. And then um, before long, I, uh, was, I was on uh, Discord actually. I was reading um, different uh, requests and features on the Altspace VR Discord. And then somebody posted, they said, uh, I wanna do a, a 200 person event in VR, uh, how? How, how do I do that? <laughs> and uh, so this was in like the middle or end of November. So I'd only been kind of like, just kind of like poking at the idea of starting this business. And I wrote back to him and I said, well, I'm in the process of starting a virtual reality a production service, uh, maybe I'll be able to help. Uh, mm. So we scheduled a couple of meetings and uh, the huge benefit um, was that this client was very forward thinking and they had purchased Oculus Quest 2s for everyone in the entire company. Uh, so they had this hardware earmarked, it was in their offices and then uh, they were like, okay, well, well, how do we use it? How do we get, uh, we, we have got the technology resolved now it's the part in between. How do we get the humans through the technology together in VR? And, and we were able to help. So, uh, so their event that they do is, is an annual event 
um, called Shenanigans Day. And it's their mm. big, big company party. And uh, believe it or not, we were able to pull it off more or less as a surprise party in VR too. So they didn't let on to their, uh, their employees that they're actually gonna be doing the Shenanigans Day uh, in VR. Um, so they sent the headsets to people about two or three days before the event. Uh, they got them onboarded. We did a private group for them. And then, uh, man, we had a blast. It was, uh, it was a really long day. Um, it was uh, 12 hours uh, overall from end to end. But there were three sections that we did VR programming. And they were about uh, two hours or an hour and a half for each one of those sections to give time for your, uh, your headset to charge in between. Um, and, so, uh, and it worked out great. So now, now taking us to today, you know, so you've, you've, you've made the transition said, okay, you know, funding dried up, loved what I was doing, but have, you know, as with a lot of people impacted by COVID, you're having to adjust and pivot a bit, you know, so you start, you know, you start what you're doing today, you know, how has that gone? Where do you see things going? What's kind of the future for it? And where do you, or what's the projection or, or what, what's the journey ahead? Oh, so, uh, you know, great question. Um, well, the good news for me is that um, I, I got this client um, just about as soon as I could possibly be ready for it. So um, I wasn't even anticipating on having, having this contract yet. I thought that maybe I would get the business started by the end of 2020, but I didn't even imagine that I would have completed my first um, big, uh, big company party uh, and client engagement before the middle of December. So that was uh, really a tremendous, it was like things have been moving really, really fast. Um, and uh, things are continuing to pick up. I, I'm really excited to do uh, this um, this podcast interview with you. Uh, I also was uh, recently featured and um, the, my company, Lacosium, for the work that we did for our client in the South Florida Business Journal. Uh, one of the staffers who was at our event also happens to be a journalist in VR, and so he wrote a write-up about it. And uh, I'm already starting to get more requests from people that are... Um, uh, you could call them competitors that were in kind of like similar spaces, but uh, it's to our benefit, to our mutual benefit, to work together to um, to build up the um, capacity and resilience for virtual reality events. Uh, and I've also got some more requests for people that want to do more events coming forward. So um, th things are going pretty well. I'm actually pretty excited about it, but I'm but I'm getting nervous because I've moved so quickly. I was able to do this first event before the website is even um, fully completed. So actually, um, uh, now that I don't have a project that is right in the pipeline for me just yet, I'm spending my time focusing more on uh, business development to, to pick up the pieces that I left, flesh out the website, and, um, and really kind of put on a pretty face so that people can uh, see and understand what it is that I do. No, I think that's uh, definitely uh, sounds like a good trajectory and things are going well and uh, looking uh, and looking bright for the future. So, well, as we start to wrap up the podcast and there's never enough time to dive into all the things that would be fun to chat about, um, you know, I always have two questions at the end. So we'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Uh, the worst business decision I ever made was um, years ago, maybe a decade ago, with the first business that I started. Uh, so as I mentioned, I'm an artist, right? Mm -hmm. So I always was doing paintings in my, uh, in my garage, and then I ended up getting into studio space, and I was kind of doing a lot of work. So I started a business um, on doing custom artwork for people and doing artwork for, for homes and businesses. Um, the thing that I learned when that business didn't succeed, 
is that I loved every part of the business that I was doing. I loved the painting. I loved meeting uh, potential clients. I liked hanging the artwork. I liked, um, you know, showing up at new galleries and presenting my work. But there's only one person who can do my paintings, and that's me. So the that business did not succeed because I didn't think through enough. I wasn't confident enough to um, ask for help and buy services from other people that can do the work just as well as I could. Like I didn't need to be the one who was. Uh, going out to um, galleries and presenting my work. I should have had an agent. That would have saved a whole lot of time for me. An agent already has more um, cachet than just some unknown artist. So mm. that was one of the lessons that I am rectifying with this business is I am investing in myself in the business and the future of the business where um, certainly, you know, I'm bootstrapping this thing. I don't have any extra cash, but it is definitely worth my time and energy to hire away different work that one, either might not be as interesting to me, even if I can do it, or two, if somebody else can do work better than me, even if it's something that I'm interested in, um, I, uh, I'm ready to ask for and pay for that type of help as an investment in my business and myself. No, and I, and I think that that's one where, Two or a couple traps that you a lot of times get into as a as a startup owner or small businesses. One is, hey, you think you can do everything yourself, so why pay somebody else to do it? And then two is, you know, even if somebody else can do it, I can do it better. It's going to take me longer to train them or do everything else. And so I've always come to the conclusion that you know is that if I can find if I'm unless it's, if it's something that I'm really passionate about or enjoy or just I have a blast at doing it, I'll probably keep it to myself. But if there's everything else, you know, that either I could, yes, I could do it or somebody else. If I can find somebody that can do it 80% as well as myself, that's typically the time that I need to hand it off because then it frees myself, frees, you know, frees you up to be able to do the things that you love and you enjoy that you are going to be the best at, that you're going to have the most passion for, and then let everybody else kind of fall in around that and let them do the things that they're passionate that they're going to do the best at. So, I think that's, uh, you know, something's a great lesson to learn. So now as we jump to the second question, which is, if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, when you ask for money, you get advice. When you ask for advice, you get money. So um the uh, this is practice for me is when I was doing my research interviews, reaching out to centers of influence, um, I was only asking for advice. I was letting people share with me what their feedback was. And those conversations have led me to um, other connections, where is if I was reaching out to somebody and said, uh, hey, I'm going to be doing this uh, virtual reality uh, event startup. And um, I want you to uh, either uh, invest in me or give me some money. Uh, that really channels how the person that you're talking to thinks about their role in it. Um, so asking for advice lets somebody feel more connected and willing to kind of like support you for a mutual benefit. But asking for money really shoehorns somebody into this transactional type of nature. So, uh, so I haven't ever asked anyone for money, but when I've asked for advice, it has led to the types of contacts which have led me to money. 
So, oh, and I think that's great. And I think that too often you just, oh, I'll just ask everybody for money. But I think to your point, if you're at, go and ask them for advice and you're saying, hey, can you provide some input and some feedback? And I'd just love to have your help and your insight and your mentorship. More often than not, they're going to get excited. You'll get a chance to explain your vision, what you're doing. And then that's going to lead to your point to that and money or wanting to be a part of it and wanting to invest and whatnot. So I think that's a, that's a great um, piece of advice for people. Well, as we wrap up, if people want to use your business, they want to hire you for an event, they want to pick your brain about VR, they want to invest in you, they want to partner with you, they want to be your next employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to connect up and find out more? Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is uh, through our website. It's locusium.com, L-O-C-U-S-I-U-M. Uh, we got a contact page there. Um, just uh, let us know uh, who you are, uh, a little brief message, and I I'd love to connect uh, and talk about either uh, how I can help you uh, succeed in business uh, or help your business transfer its events into virtual reality, uh, or uh, if you, you just want to talk and see, what, uh, see what's on my mind about VR. Uh, like I said before, things are happening new every day, so it's like there's always fresh stuff to talk about. All right. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, find out more and connect up with you and appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to come on the podcast and share it, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the podcast. If you're a listener, also make sure to one, click subscribe so you get notifications all of our episodes come out and two, leave us a review so we can make sure that everybody finds out about the podcast. Last but not least, if you ever need help with patents and trademarks, um, feel free to reach out to us at uh, Miller IP Law by going to strategy session or strategymeeting.com. Apologies. And uh, we're definitely here to help. Thank you again, Drew. Now, one other thing that uh, Drew, and we're just uh, getting ready to launch. So Drew is actually the first person that's done it is we're off or are doing a what is a bonus question. And the bonus question is going to be the one piece of uh, or one question you've always wanted to ask about intellectual property, whether it's patents, trademarks or anything. And so Drew has been uh, courteous enough or kind enough to sign up and say that he's uh, he'd, he'd ask that one question. So we're going to wrap up the podcast for here. But if you'd like to hear the bonus question, just continue to listen and it'll be after our normal episode so for kevin for all the normal listeners are going to sign off thank you for being on now for the bonus question um bonus let's dive round. <laughs> bonus round so now what uh you know i am an intellectual property i do miller ip law so what is the one question you'd have or you have about intellectual property whether it's patents trademarks copyrights or other things that i can answer for you well, um, it is uh, specifically relating to uh, digital media. Um, so uh, uh, YouTube obviously wants to protect their IP and content. Uh, and then there's uh, a, a popularity of restreaming services like Twitch. Uh, so my question for you is, um, when somebody is restreaming um uh copyrighted content either it's uh, either images uh video uh, or audio onto their twitch stream uh what is their um uh what is their liability yeah and it's a good question it's one that i'll give you a partial answer at least the answer that i know which is one of the and it's is going to shift your question slightly, but I think it overlays is there's a question that has come up and there, I wrote a, a LinkedIn article about it. You're welcome. I think it's connected still to my um, LinkedIn uh, profile, 
but is on, you know, if I were to go out and if I embed, there's a difference between taking someone's content, downloading it and re-uploading it versus embedding or streaming someone's content that you're not the actual source of the content. So if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So give me an example. If I were to go to find your favorite YouTube video and whether, you know, somebody playing a video game, someone, you know, make doing whatever it is, find your, if you didn't take that content and embed it in your website, Generally, you're perfectly fine, meaning you don't, even if that content is illegal, meaning somebody else put a movie up on YouTube that they knew that was copy, you know, infringed copyrights, they didn't have the right to, and you are going to embed it and link it to it. So link your website by embedding it. You generally don't in, in, incur any liability. And the reason being is because you're not the original source. Now, alternative and interesting, the side note is, is that with most copyright law, and this would fall under copyright, it starts with the pornography industry. And that's where, if you look at most of the copyright industry, all the interesting cases of law has something to do with the pornography industry just because they're very aggressive. But it started out with somebody, or the case law that came is somebody took the idea of, I'm going to go and basically be a platform that aggregates all the best, what they viewed as the best pornography. And I'm not promoting pornography by any means. But they were saying, I'm going to take my best, the best video clips, make a website where you can just find all of those YouTube links and other links and everything else. And you're going to do it. So they aggregate it, but they embedded it all on their website. So they didn't upload it. They didn't do the original content. Uh And so then they, they got taken to court. Somebody was saying, well, you can't take all of our content. And the court said, no, if you're embedding it to where you're not the original person that uploaded it, you don't have any of the liability. So I, that's probably the closest as far as, you know, you, now you go to Twitch and you go to, you know, streaming content. And if you're going to be somebody else's video game and that, I would extrapolate. Now it is a bit of extrapolation. So there, I don't know of any court cases or specific to it, but likely it is going to be the same thing if you're, streaming someone else's content you're live streaming it you're sharing it or you're otherwise being the you're not the original content uploader but rather just sharing their content you'll likely be okay versus if you were to take their content download it upload it onto your site and now you are the person that originally uploaded it Mm. then you maintain that liability does that make sense yep i understand thank you so there's our one bonus question. Any, but before we wrap up, any follow up to that? Any other questions to that or content or to that question? Or does that make general good sense? No, no, that that really um, uh, it, it makes sense. And obviously, you, we, the the courts look to to precedent wherever it happens. And uh, and I think that you have actually um, uh, a very astute observation that lots of de- developments in uh, intellectual property and even technology have started with porn. <laughs> no, I said whether or not that should be whether or not that should be the industry that originates it, it, it's where it falls out. But it's interesting. The last question you didn't ask, but it just as it came to mind, the question you get is now what about um, hyperlinks? You know, that's one that I've had a question on that. Now, if I hyperlink, that one's typically fine, right? You're just using the URL. You're saying you can go to here. But is there going to be a way that you could hyperlink to content now now this is written content let's say it's a blog post or it's something that's text content because generally if you go copy and paste someone's content just stick it on your website you're going to have a copyright issue but what i'd always think it'd be interesting is if you could figure out a way to embed similar to video content the other forms of content whether it's written content or audio content or you know an audio you can a lot of times embed but other forms of content as they're developed or older forms of content such that you can apply that same idea to what they what they found for video and i don't know of any way that you can 
embed video content for on the tech side, but it'd be one that'd be interesting that I think it would be fun to, to see if somebody can figure out. So with that, there's the bonus question. Thank you, Drew, for participating. That was a fun conversation. You're welcome. No, yeah, thank you. Now wish the next leg of your journey in the best as we fully wrap up the podcast. Right on. Hey, thanks again. This has been uh, been a lot of fun, Devin. I can't wait to, uh, to see you in it um, and uh, sharing it. <laughs>